Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Now, from Happy Valley, here's your host, Brian Tripp. And we welcome you into another episode of Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Remind you, if you like what you're hearing on the podcast, hit that subscribe button here today. Joined now by the play-by-play voice, the longtime play-by-play voice of the Penn State Nittany Lions, Steve Jones. Steve, it's great to see you. Oh, Brian, it's always great to be with you. Can you believe it's 20 years where you've had the privilege to call Penn State football games? Well, it's a privilege to do it, and it's something where I, when I was going after the job you have a vision as to what you think the job is going to be like and then it turns out even better than you thought it was going to be and I think a big reason for that is Jack Ham working with him game in and game out you always want to work with people who make you better that should be the desire of everybody out there when they go to take a job desire to work with people who make you better well Jack Ham whatever you think of the performance I have right he makes me a lot better. And to work with somebody that knowledgeable, no ego, great to be around, just has made an incredible difference. And 20 years because of a guy like him has really flown by. Here's something I want to get into first with the whiteout this weekend. Mm-hmm. I know you're not a guy who sits down and is, oh, I'm in awe of what type <laughs> of stadium I'm in. But the first time they did it, a lot of people think it was 05 in the Ohio State game. It was actually before that. Right. So when you walk into the stadium that day, do you at least recognize what's going on from a marketing side of things? Absolutely, because you walk in there and you look out and you see a sea of mm-hmm. white. To get 110,000 plus to all do the same thing, all for a common cause, mm-hmm. is a really cool thing. And Jack and I were talking about this at Iowa on Saturday before we started that game because they did a stripe out. And, of course, Penn State's done its stripe out already this season. This is what separates college football from the NFL, that kind of passion, that kind of commitment, that kind of enthusiasm, where you can get everybody to walk in and say, all right, it's the whiteout tonight. And then you sit there and you look around the stadium and you see that and you are really impressed by the fact that people are having that much fun and are that committed to seeing their team win and they feel that that's going to make a difference. That's really cool. You've been to Assembly Hall and Mackey Arena, the Big House, the Horseshoe. You've been to so many great venues. So what makes the Penn State whiteout a special event? What makes it special is, first of all, the number of people. Let's start with this. I mean, you have over 110,000 people, and I've seen it tried other places. I've gone to Michigan where they a gold out. It didn't quite work. Uh, And that's what makes, you know, and other people have copied it. That's Mm -hmm. what tells you how successful this is. All right, we're going to do an orange out. We're going to do a blackout. We're going to do a stripe out. Well, Penn State was the one that was able to do it right away, and the fact that It just shows you the power of the brand, Mm -hmm. the brand of Penn State and the passion of the fan. You know, years ago when I was was talking to my parents about this job, and I had other opportunities, and my dad said to me, he says, Steve, he says, stick with Penn State. He He says, because at Penn State, they're loyal. Well, when you walk into that stadium, you see that. That's the definition of loyalty right there. And I think that it's something that... Uh, other people can copy it 
but this is the original and still always the best one. I know you've had opportunities to do all sorts of things with your career over the years. So is it really that loyalty that, and you have a family here, what is special about Penn State and State College to you that this has been the place you wanted to make your home? Well, first of all, it's a great place to raise a family. It's a great family community. Uh, you get to know a lot of people here. You get a lot of good friends here. And nobody has been, been treated better than I have. I don't care whether it's working with Joe Paterno, working with Tom Bradley, working with Bill O'Brien, working with James Franklin, Dick Harder, Bruce Parkhill, Jerry Dunn, Ed DeChels, Patrick Chambers, all the players mm-hmm. over the years. I mean, I just got an email the other day from Pete Lasicki. Hey, Pete, he's, I'm coming in for the game. Where can I meet up with you guys before the game? Uh, football players all the time. I've been treated so well by everybody here. Administration. You know, I mean, we're so fortunate now. The, the great job that Sandy Barber's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, how she's been able to continue that. And there really has been no serious consideration on my part whatsoever. This may disappoint a lot of fans uh, whatsoever <laughs> uh, of even remotely considering leaving. Cause to me, this is home. This is, you know, I want to, I want to go in and do a job for something I'm passionate about. I don't want to just go out and do a job where, okay, punch in, punch out, did the game. We're done. Go home. I, I can't wait for Saturday. I can't wait for the first basketball game. I mean, just like you with hockey, you can't wait to go to the rink, mm-hmm. right? And that's why you're as good as you are at the job you do because of the passion behind it. And if you don't have passion behind something, you're just not going to be very good at it. When did you know you had that passion for broadcast? It's funny you mentioned hockey because I remember a couple of years ago, I think my brother was with you and your brother up in one of the suites at the hockey game. Yeah. And you came down and did an interview. And after the game, my brother said, yeah, I was talking to, to Steve's brother and he said Steve used to talk all the time, and he would be—he knew he's going to be a broadcaster. When did you know that you're going to be a broadcaster? Well, I was first of all, I figured out right away I couldn't play. So let's start with that. <laughs> there was something that tipped me off about the inability to play well enough, uh, and I thought I really want to do something in sports. Well, I'd sit there at night and I'd listen to baseball on the radio at night. Red Sox. Uh, well, it would be, but I could pick up everything. Red Sox, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I could hear Bob Prince on KDKA. I could hear Jack Buck on KMOX. You know, all these 50,000-watt booming stations. And I'd sit there and I'd say to myself, well, that's a really great job. Never once considering they also gave you money for it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I really wanted to Cats do Cats out of the bag. <laughs> yeah. So then when I got into college, I got into college radio at WPSI in Wilkes-Barre. Mm-hmm. Right, on the Wilkes-Barre campus. Because you were at Penn State up there. Yeah. It was a 10-watt station, which meant you lost the station in the parking lot. But I found out right away, man, this is really great. I really love doing this. And I remember the first game I did mm-hmm. was December 8th, 1977. And when you see Nick Yuri or you see Connor McGovern, they're both from Lake Lehman High School. It was Penn State Wilkesbury against Allentown Business School at Lake Lehman High School in that gym where I did the game. I remember Bernie Janowski was our player of the game. And when it was over with, I thought, man, I'd really like to do this job. That was a lot of fun. And from that point on, it just kept building and building and building. And then, look, you catch breaks along the way. I mean, you name the break, I caught the break. 
Yeah, a lot of it in this business is right spot, right time. And your first foot in the door with Penn State and getting on the network was with Penn State basketball. Absolutely. And I was able to work early in my career with some really terrific people. John Grant is somebody nobody ever talks about, but John Grant taught me so much. And little things, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm telling you, like little things protecting me. You get on a bus after after a loss. And, you know, Dick Carter was the coach. He says, Steve, don't say a word. He said they want absolute silence in there. He doesn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Fran Fisher, you know, who taught you that passion and commitment meant something. Then the gold mine for me was Gil Santos. 40 years as the Patriots play-by-play voice, but there was a period of time where he did Penn State, and I was the third announcer. It was like sitting there for four years in a living play-by-play classroom. And I was doing high school football at the time on Friday nights, and he, he came up to me one day, and he says, hey, he says, give me a couple of your tapes. I want to listen to your tapes. I want to, I want to listen to you. Well, a guy like this wants to listen and evaluate what, what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. And I remember we were sitting in the airport in Tuscaloosa. And he said, okay. He said, and he started out, and I'll never, never forget this. He says, yeah, I thought you were going to be good. He says, but really, I was impressed. I'm like, wow, okay. He says, so let's go through. He says, why don't you tweak this a little bit? Why don't you change that a little bit? He said, and I think it will make it even better. And he did that a couple of other times with me. And it's just to have somebody take that kind of time meant a lot. What do you think he saw in you? Um, what do I think he saw in me? I think he was just listening to the technical part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, how do you set up a play? How do you set up a formation? How do you turn a phrase? How do you get excited at a certain moment? How do you understand it's a big moment as opposed to a stoic and staid moment? And uh, I think maybe that's what he saw. Um, you'd have to, you know, obviously Gilson's passed away, but you would have had to have asked him because I know I'm confused in what he saw in me. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you mentioned big moments because you'll hear a lot of broadcasters out there. I think young broadcasters sometimes, I know I made this mistake. You, you want to be so perfect in the big moment that, that you, you try to prepare for it. You can't, you just have to know that you're prepared for any situation and react to it. And I think that's something you do really well in your broadcast. I've never once thought about big moments. Never have in my mind scripted what I was going to say because I thought if I was going to ad lib for three hours, mm-hmm. three and a half hours, the big moment would have to be part of the ad lib. Mm-hmm. So if you do it right, it lives on forever. If you do it wrong, everybody's so excited about the big moment, they forget what you said. <laughs> uh, so I've been fortunate that I think more often than not, I've been able to do it right, mm-hmm. but I've been doing it in the context of the moment. Uh, but it's always interesting. People will ask me, you know, is the block kick against mm-hmm. uh, Ohio State, is that one of the top moments of your career? I said, yeah. I said, but it's not the most important moment to me in my career. And they'll look at you and say, well, what's the most important part? Jack and I were doing the kickoff classic mm-hmm. at USC. Two and a half minutes in. It's our first game. Two and a half minutes in. Frank Strong for USC blocks a punt. And Sandy Fletcher picks it up. David Royer kicked it. Sandy Fletcher picks it up, runs it in for a touchdown. Now it's two and a half minutes in. And I got all the parts right. Strong blocked it. Royer punted it. Strong blocked it. Fletcher scored. And that won Jack Ham's respect. 
he talked to me for several weeks just about that play. He says, he says how, how I did that play. I won his respect two and a half minutes in, into our broadcasting life together. And I think that, to me, was always the most important play of my career. I think everyone's seen, or at least a lot of people listening to this, they've probably seen the clip of the Purdue lateral oh, play. <laughs> you know what, what makes me laugh about the Purdue lateral play? It was 12 to nothing, right? <laughs> the play, even if Purdue scored, was going to be nothing. Right? And I've always kidded Josh Gaines over the years. I said, you know, I said the play would have been really special if you had scored. Because <laughs> he got caught at the 25-yard line. And they're lateraling it out, like. I don't know, were there nine of them? And I think I You got, got every one of them right, I think. Uh, I got eight of the nine right. I, I know which one I got wrong, <laughs> all right? Because uh, I, looked, I looked at it later. I said, no, nah, I got that one wrong. <laughs> uh, so, but I know people have talked about that, but that's why you prepare. Yeah. That's why you prepare games. Uh, like, like, let's take the end of the Iowa game uh, a year ago. Tristan Wirfs on the last place trying to run with the ball. Well, he's an offensive lineman. You prepare all week to know who number 74 is. You mentioning players and games been, and specific plays all the way dating back to when you were doing high school football. <laughs> is there anything you can't remember? Um, who are you? <laughs> What's your name? Do you realize what kind of gift you have of not only a gift of uh, gab, but I mean, you're a, you're a very intellectual and intelligent man as well. Well, it's nice of you to say that. Um, I always felt that the that a person that is in this job, mm -hmm. and I don't care what's hockey or you know whatever, that's the play-by-play -play voice of a team, needs to have the ability to tell people about the history of what they're watching. Yeah. So that when a Saquon Barkley goes 92 yards in the Fiesta Bowl. Mm -hmm. Everybody, you just watched the longest bowl run in Penn State history. That also ties the Penn State record. Oh, and by the way, let's play hom pay homage to Blair Thomas, who did it, and let's pay homage to Bill Belton, who did it, who also went 92 yards. They should not be forgotten. And it gives everybody a perspective. So when Jordan Stout kicks a 57-yard field goal, it's the longest in Penn State history, beating Chris Barr, so you pay homage yep. to him. And you mentioned it's the beat, ties the Beaver Stadium record that Gary Homer of Ohio University kicked. It's just that way. See, that's fascinating to me, though, because uh, it's not like you have notes in front of you. How, how do you remember? Is it just years of, uh, years of being around it and reading media guides, or is it just something that, that you know? Well, okay, this is where I'm going to give all the credit to my grandmother, Jones. Mm -hmm. uh, my grandmother, uh, my dad's mom, was as sharp as sharp gets. Yeah. She remembered everything. She remembered everything. Even when she was 96, 96 years old, she could rattle off everything. You know, kids, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, exact ages, exact dates. She could do that. So something like that's probably inherited mm -hmm. uh, along the way. And I think... Of all the people in my lifetime, she's always been the one that I thought had that had that ability. And for whatever reason, the blessing or the curse of it, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, end, I ended up with it. But it, it ends up being very useful in, in what I'm doing. So yeah. it, uh, But I think it's always important. 
history is important because it teaches you the greatest lessons. At the same time, you also don't want people to forget the accomplishments that have happened along the way. So when somebody does something remarkable here, it then allows you to pay homage to the person whose record they passed to let somebody know that somebody else accomplished something great too in the history of the program. It's 133 years of it, and I have not been here for all 133. I did not do the game on the old main lawn with Bucknell. I did not. <laughs> do you have favorite calls, though? 2K for LJ sticks out to me. There's certainly big moments, but do you have, have favorite calls? Uh, let's see. All my favorite calls are ones where they won. And they've won a lot. Yeah, and they've won a lot. Uh, favorite calls, obviously 2K for LJ was one. When Joe won his 400th. Mm-hmm. I said, you'll never see this again. One man, one school, 400 wins. Mm-hmm. Right? And again, you just ad lib this stuff as you go along. And then you listen to the highlight back and like, oh, that came out pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, you know, obviously the block kick because I knew Marcus Allen blocked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember, I can tell you exactly what I was thinking when the ball hit the turf. I thought, do I say Marcus Allen blocked it now or wait? And I said, wait, because, ne- because Grant Haley picked up the ball. Mm-hmm. So when Haley crossed the goal line, that's when I said Marcus had blocked it uh, because I thought by waiting, and again, you do th- make these split-second decisions. I thought by waiting, I've got to take everybody in the excitement of the ball going toward the end zone. Yeah, And then I put in that Marcus blocked it at the end. Uh, so I mean, things like that. I mean, basketball, there's, there's one basketball one where 1995 Pete Lasicki, who's coming back this weekend, uh, hit a three at the wire to send Penn State to the NIT Final Four. And Dan Earl passed it to him, and when he shot it, I said for three in Madison Square Garden, good. Whatever. So I get, you get lucky. We were talking about how you progressed in your career. A lot of people probably remember you, too, hearing your voice over the speakers at, <laughs> at Beaver Stadium. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did that for a, a few years. Uh, that includes me being told to tell everybody to stop throwing snowballs at the Michigan players. But I knew the second I would, I said, I remember they said, you have to read this. I said, okay. I said, you do know they're going to throw more the second I say this, right? They said, oh, you've got to say it. So I said it, and of course, then it rains. Snow. <laughs> we had to say, okay. You know? But, I mean, that, that, was a, that was a fun job, and it kept me involved uh, in the game atmosphere, game in and game out, because I had been the third guy for mm-hmm. eight years before that. What was the game atmosphere like then, and how would you compare it to now as we go into to a big game this weekend? You have the fireworks and the music. and Well, you know, part of it is the, actually the construction of the stadium. First mm-hmm. of all, there's 110,000 people in there now. And back in the 80s, when they had, you know, 78, you know, the 70s, they had 78,000, then it went up to 84, 85,000, then it went to 92. But when they built the end zone in the south end with the club seats, the upper deck, to go along with the upper deck on the north side and the club seats on the and the uh, luxury suites on the far side, yeah. it then contained all the noise mm-hmm. and it changed the dynamics of the stadium. So now, even though it was loud in the, in the 70s and 80s and 90s, because of the construction of the stadium, it's now more contained, so it's even louder. And plus, they're squeezing in 110,000 people, which is just a, a remarkable thing. I mean, uh, you look at this, the third largest city in the state, 
when they're sitting there on a Saturday night like it's going to be. So it's the construction of the stadium in conjunction with the passion of the fans that's been really cool to hear, but it, it, it's louder now because of both elements. You talked about right at the start how privileged you are to have this job and how honored. I know you take great pride and respect in what you represent. When you look back on your career so far, and it's far from over, and think about working with a guy like a Joe Paterno, Bill O'Brien, James Franklin, all the great players and coaches in both sports, football, basketball. How do you reflect on that to this point? I'm just, I was really glad you mentioned the part that it was far from over. Uh, so, <laughs> 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 you know, I'm trying to get the Saturday here right now. Uh, you sit there and if you take a moment to look back, mm -hmm. and I haven't really done a lot of yeah, that, but you then think of all the remarkable people that you've been around and had the privilege to work with. And places you've gotten to go through the career. Places you get to People go. People you meet. You know, going to the Rose Bowl a mm -hmm. couple times and, and you know, going all those games I've done in Madison Square Garden, big moments, big games here, Orange Bowls, so forth. Uh, the ability to sit down and listen to a Joe Paterno mm -hmm. as to what the place of intercollegiate athletics is. The ability to sit down and talk to a James Franklin about pushing and moving Penn State forward into the 2020s and 2030s. Uh, the ability to listen to a passion of a, of a Patrick Chambers about what he thinks Penn State basketball can mean. But again, it, the people you work with, I go back to Jack. Matt McGloin's been an incredible addition this year. Roger Corey, uh, you know, Bob Taylor. You know, I've had a chance to work with great people where – I walk in and I really have to just worry about me because everybody else around me is so good. Mm -hmm. So when I reflect upon it, look, I know I've been one of the more fortunate people out there. I know that. I mean, if I sat down and said, okay, I'm leaving tomorrow. Okay, stop applauding out there. <laughs> right? I'm leaving tomorrow. The line of people who would want the job would go from here probably to Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. And so there's a responsibility that comes with that. Mm-hmm. You mentioned James Franklin. I think it's important to end on on a football note. I've heard you say the right guy at the right time for yeah. Penn State before. Yeah. And you look at not only what he's built on the field, but off the field. James Franklin has great respect for the tradition here at Penn State. Mm -hmm. Great respect. And he's gone to great lengths to honor that tradition. But I also think it's really important for James Franklin to do this in James Franklin's way because mm -hmm. I think his way is a great way. He honors the student-athlete. He believes in the academic mission. He believes in the community service mission. Now let's get to the football part. He understands that in today's game what the element of speed means. Penn State is putting speed on the field everywhere. He understands that you cannot compete unless you go after not only the highest quality athlete, but also people that along the way are going to get degrees here as well because only – one, two, three percent go on and get to play at the next level. That word fit is always important. Right. And the fit part is critical. And so he fits what Penn State has always wanted to do, but he's doing it in a 2019, 2020, 2025 way mm -hmm. uh, because he ha he's a forward thinker. And that's always been an important element here. Joe is always a forward thinker. I mean, I'd sit down and have long conversations about Joe about, you know, you know, where he wants to do things and why he wants to do it. James is the same way. He is a forward thinker. 
He just does it in his own way and in his own personality. And it's the kind of personality that in this era you absolutely need to have. I have tremendous respect for him. And he's the kind of guy that if you needed anything, he'd run through a wall for you. Mm-hmm. He's a very loyal guy. And conversely, he's very, very easy to be loyal to. And he's built a staff that feels the same way he does. And Penn State 2019 cannot be in any better shape because of what James Franklin has done because he took over at a really tough time and he brought Penn State back out of that because his first bowl game, the Pinstripe Bowl, he had 41 available scholarship players and won it. So this is the right guy at the right time. And I think Penn State's about to, they're on the cusp of going to uh, some of the great places in college football. He's got them right to the doorstep of it. Well, Steve, you know the tremendous respect uh, I have for you and what you've meant for me in my career. And I know a lot of Penn State fans uh, certainly enjoyed listening to this. So thanks for the time on, on what is a fun and busy week. Well, I always enjoyed talking with you, Brian, and what you've accomplished with hockey. You're one of the best in the absolute business in hockey. And I know Penn State fans and Guy Godowski really appreciate it. All right, Steve, appreciate it. As always, that's Steve Jones, the play-by-play voice of the Penn State Nittany Lions. Appreciate you for stopping by this time on Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics.